y'all. Welcome to 12 Questions. This is Anna Valenzuela. I am coming to you live from someone else's house because my house is under construction. Uh, but you know what? The beautiful thing about my lifestyle is that I get to be flexible today. And I am very excited to introduce my co-host, Mr. Dave Yates. Hey, everybody. Hey, y'all. Y'all. Wait. Where did that come from? I will. Okay. Y'all. Y'all is not something you say. I, I, I say y'all a whole bunch, but. First off, you have not heard it. Uh, if yeah, because you, you don't say it. I do say, okay, let me explain the y'all to you. First off, <laughs> I want to stop saying guys because I'm a California girl. Guys and dudes just means humans, but I understand it's 2021 and we are, are trying to get out of gender specifics. You know what I mean? I'm trying to be inclusive. Number one. Number two. I grew up in a town in Northern California that was second generation um, Dust Bowl Okies. And so I, I everybody like had a little like, everybody had a little like twang. And if you get me 50 miles outside of Los Angeles, I'm like, hey, y'all, you're going to jump that fence. Let me show you how to do it with a jacket so you don't cut yourself. Like, that's how crazy I am. I'm like, oh, you want to go? Uh, you need help catching that chicken? I'll catch a chicken for you. I'm crazy like that. It Country almost Mexican. sounded like you were going to say second generation generacists. Uh, Gen well, that too. It was very, <laughs> me and my dad were like the only uh, brown people in the entire town that weren't uh, incarcerated because uh, yeah. they count, they count the city's population uh, with the prison population. And there are two and a half prisons there. So yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a weird existence. Hey. With a, with a bunch of people that get counted as half a vote inside. <laughs> half a vote, baby. Half a boat. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're so off the rails, guys. This already, is, this already is a off the rails. Podcast. What am I doing? Um, I, uh, I I'm going to read that clarity statement <laughs> so we can just get get this truck back on the highway. Uh, welcome to Twelve Questions. We're a podcast where we believe growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences and growth by also interviewing guests who do the same. We're not affiliated with AANA or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to interview people about their own life experiences. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves and each other by listening. Yay! I love that clarity statement. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. You're a delight. Now, how our guests come on is they get to introduce themselves. Why? Because they might want to stay incognito super anonymous-y. You know what I mean? So who are we speaking with today? Oh, is this where I... Yes! <laughs> yeah! Hey! Hey, I'm Charlie. Um, Charlie Cantor. Say my name. I'm happy about it. Um, I'm in recovery. I I'm just really excited to be here. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Ch Chuck, as I lovingly call her, is one of my favorite people um, that I've met in recovery in Southern California. She is a, a, a true delight. So we're glad to have you here, Chuck. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and share the same sentiment, Dave. Mm. Right back at you. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. Curmudgeon love. Over there, Charlie? That's yeah. How's it going? How 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 has this? We're living in interesting times. How are your interesting times? Uh, my interesting times. You know, I I I try to stay in gratitude because I have a place to live. I'm in school. I'm over well, like pretty stable and happy. 
Um, I am in fear, obviously, of like everything that's going on, scared for my family and friends and the safety of everyone. But uh, overall, I I feel pretty balanced. And I felt like this quarantine, I was like, I'm going to work on being okay. Yeah. Because when else am I going to get this much time to work on being okay? Yes, that's totally the that's totally the sentiment that I had. It was like the first couple of weeks I slept because apparently the years leading up to quarantine, I was so busy and mm-hmm. didn't really have a chance to emotionally process or feel. And so I just slept and then I got up and I got to work. You know, I'm working the steps again. I'm going back to school. I'm, you know, doing the podcast, like doing everything that um, that brings me joy. You know, it's like, what's the, my therapist asked me, um, what would you do? What would you wear? How would you be if you could die tomorrow? Because we could all die tomorrow. Right. So that's a warm and fuzzy. See, I find that so comforting. Me too. (laughs) Me too. Yes. I'm one of those, like, I also, one, one time I had a show where I was really nervous and somebody texted me, just remember in a hundred years, this won't matter. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's so that's so liberating. Like it doesn't this is a small thing. And this is a drop in the bucket of time, you know, Uh, not to go super sci fi on us. I will. Um, (laughs) But I love that. Are you from California? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, I grew up in Agora Hills and Calabasas and I am now living in Glendale. So I am. Yeah, I've been here the whole time. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. And kind of like what brought you to your place of surrender in your life and how, how do you experience that? Mm, That's the thing. It's that it's a, it's a practice. I think I wait. My default is to wake up and say, the world is on fire. Nothing matters. I hate myself. I'm in fear. And that's my reality. Um, I think I just, that's just how my brain works. Um, it's just fun like that, but surrender for me is just like, it has to be really simple. It has to be like, can you get out of bed today? And can you take a shower? Yeah. That in itself is surrender or when I can't control everything that's going on with the world. Can I just be okay myself and show up for the people around me. That's being as in serenity as I can. I love that. I was talking to a new sponsee uh, last night and I said, you know, when I first got, when I first got here, I only could, the, the checklist for the day was um, wake up, go to work if I had to and take a shower and go to a meeting. And that's how simple I made it. And I love how you kind of encapsulate that. It's like, just do the thing, just do the thing, you know, like the steps will lead us to the extraordinary to come, you know, but like right now, let's just do the thing. Like what's your, oh, go ahead, Dave. No, that just reminds me of when I first got sober. Uh, Someone told me to make my bed every morning and I was against it. I was like, why? Because when I get home, I'm just going to mess it up again anyway. And they're like, well, yeah. But if you screw up the entire day and come home and at least your bed is made, you've done one thing right. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess, and I've I've been making my bed for fucking nine years (laughs) now. Oh my God. I wish I got into the bed making habit. Charlie, are you a a bed making person? I try to be. Um, Even if it's at 5 p.m. 
I will be like, it hasn't been made all day, uh, but I'm going to do it just for the practice of it. So when I remember to and feel up for it, I try to do it. I love that. So like, what's your story? What's your deal? Like what, like what happened? Bring us in. What happened? I like it. She's like, I'm going to ask the rest of the 11 questions all at once. What happened to you? The, the second question, we'll start here. The second question is, what's the most insane moment that you've had thus far in your life, Charlie? Um, I mean, there's, it's hard to pinpoint it to one. When I was thinking about insane moment, I'm like thinking, oh, insane, that was so cool. But then I think about insanity where it's unmanageable and it's crazy. And when I think of insanity, I have a lot of experience with that. Like, I don't, I think like my whole deal, I guess, is that like, I grew up in a pretty abusive home. So I was used to chaos all the time. Mm. I was used to that sort of thing. Nothing was ever stable. I was really used to just like traumatic things happening all over the place. Mm. And then when I started drinking, it was both like, oh, this is the solution to all of that. Like, this is the way I can actually navigate through my life. And I, I was also like that you know, that parentified child that like takes care of the family unit. I was like 12 and doing that. But when I drank, I got to be selfish and I didn't have experience like feeling my feeling and advocating for myself. But when I got drunk, that's what happened. And when I think of, I had to boil it down to the most insane moment in my drinking. I had a moment where I went to a show. I used to go to um, all these uh, DIY LA music shows uh, growing up. My brother was heavily involved in that scene. And I remember going to a show being like, can I get high? Um, I didn't have weed or whatever it was. And I just took uh, a bunch of pills and thought this will do something to me. Um, And then I got high at the show and then I got back in my car to drive and found myself in downtown LA driving and Uh, I was overdosing. So I was vomiting everywhere. And I had to pull over on the side of the road as I was covered in vomit. And I was 16 years old and um, was hallucinating and all that stuff. I don't know how I made it home. I was like, not only a danger to myself in my life in that moment, but to everyone on the road. Like, Mm. those were the kind of insane situations that I put myself in and got myself in because of how I operated. Yeah. Oh my god! I, I think really... as I was covered in vomit would be a good title for a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> I would say as I was covered in my own fluids. I would say uh, puking and driving a memoir. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> I remember specifically like being covered in vomit. I think I had a yerba mate cup that I just used, um, overflowed immediately on the steering your, wheel, and your, I was your yerba vomit cup. <laughs> I was sitting in the car and I remember looking to my left at this woman in a Prius with like a low ponytail and glasses. And I was like, she looks so put together. And then I looked at myself and I'm just covered in vomit. And I was like, this is, this is where I'm at. This is it. That wasn't even my bottom, but it was close. (laughs) Girl, I have to tell you, I relate. I relate to you on so many levels. Number one, I also come from an abusive, chaotic family uh, where I was the adult, like, And, um, so much of my step work, so much of my journey has been marked by like moments of my sponsor taking my step work and saying like, give me your, give me that, give me a pen and crossing things out and saying, you were a child. You're not responsible for this one. This is not your 50%. You were a kid. You were not in charge. Mm 
And um, the gaslighting, what people don't realize about trauma and about abusive households is they have to gaslight the child into thinking this is normal. And so like normal life, like when I first started drinking, it was the same thing. I was just like, oh, wow, this works like this. I feel great. Whoa. Hey, look at me. Like, and it worked um, until it didn't. And then also I've, um, I vomited a lot driving both in and out of recovery because I got really sick there for a while. And did I was like, I was, but because I was using, because of using, like I, I had, vomited while driving it is a special if you're listening to this it is a special talent to be doing any amount of speed in your car like whether it's a surface street or a freeway god forbid so you're talking and, miles per hour not doing speed yeah not like, doing yeah. like miles <laughs> I, I, per hour I, just, like, I mean you look you gotta clarify okay that's Our very true or like that's, speed you were you speed? were yeah yeah no the um the ability to uh, maintain a consistent driving uh, distance from another car while vomiting at the same time. It's like a real, it's a real special talent. And if you can do that, you need to check, talk to a doctor about either your behavior or your physical health. <laughs> so, but oh, that's wild. That's wild. How long after that did it take you to kind of like have that moment where you were like, oh, I'm done. Um, it was, it was a two years. So I was 16 and I got sober at 18. So I only really had, I started, I had my first drink at 11, um, really started drinking at 14 and got sober at 18. So really that's four years. Um, but I went off to college. I went to Sarah Lawrence and, um, my drinking got worse. Um, I was diagnosed with PTSD and drank through all of that. And, uh, I just, I wanted to die. And, uh, my moment of serenity, I think happened. I, I called my brother and I was in a drug induced mania and I was like, I figured it out. I'm going to drop out of school and I'm going to become like a shaman in the Amazon. It's going to be so great. I don't need money. I don't yeah, need just anything. Drink, you're just going to drink some ayahuasca. Yeah, that God. was, that was my plan. And then to that, he said, this shit will follow you wherever you go. And I didn't know if he was talking about trauma. I didn't know if he was talking about drinking. I didn't know what he was talking about, but it hit me so hard. I broke down crying. I I had flashbacks and all that stuff. And then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. And then I think it was a couple months later where I went to my first meeting and then I heard what they said. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I, I don't have to be a certain age to get sober. Like I'm done now. Yeah. Absolutely. And as a person who started when they were 13 and stopped when they were 20, game recognized game before 21 club. Yeah. I told you, I told you I'm good at this. Uh, we were talking pre podcast uh, that I, I, I usually pick guests that I know and I will become friends with that are my friends. Cause there's nothing better than friends meeting friends. There's nothing better. And like getting along, you know what I mean? It's like sometimes friends meet friends and you're like, oh, this is not going well. But like I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. You're at good at this. Friends. Yeah. But these days I was not good at picking friends for a long time. <laughs> but I, you know, Charlie, I, I just love what you had to say about all that. That's amazing. That is amazing. And like, I'm so grateful you're doing this podcast. Like, those are all huge decisions in your life. Like, especially 
especially when you do come from a background where you're told that your decisions will always be wrong, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. uh, everything you do is a mistake and you're like, what? And it's like, ah, you know, so what, how do you make decisions in your life today? It takes a while. Um, it takes a while. It's a process for me because I think you're right with the trauma. I had a lot of like psychological abuse, so mm-hmm. it stays in my head mm-hmm. where I'm constantly questioning myself, doubting myself. I don't know whose voice I'm listening to. Is it an abusive one? Is it alcoholism? Is it I, I, trusting myself was a process. So, you know, with the help of therapy and recovery tools and all that kind of stuff, it's like when I make a decision, one, is it impulsive? I don't, I try not to make impulsive decisions because that hasn't led me anywhere good. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to sleep on it. Um, I pray about it. And if it's really necessary, I'll write out a pros and cons list. Uh, if I need to check in with someone and check my reality, I'll call a friend and we'll talk through it. I'm a very, I'm a very talkative person. So talking through things really helps me. And, uh, you know, I want to hear what people who people, people I trust, what do they have to say? Mm -hmm. Um, so I can make the best decision. I love that verbal auditory processing, baby. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what would you say the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself thus far is, um, you know, I, I, I think it comes down to self-pity, um, And not like, I don't try to be like, oh, I was in so much self-pity because I was abused or whatever. I think it was like, I always saw myself as a victim uh, for various reasons. And I just found that not to be the truth for me. I feel like things happened and I lived through them and survived certain things. And so resiliency is what comes to mind where I was like, oh, I can be resilient. I can be accountable. I can look at my life and see myself as like a balanced person who is capable of being happy. Mm -hmm. Um, Never thought those, I just thought I was broken. I was born bad and uh, I was destined to always either kill myself or be a shit show my whole life. And Mm -hmm. I basically, those were myths. Yeah. And those are easy. Like that's the thing too. It's just like, like it's easy to be like, well, I'm an alcoholic. That's it. You know, that's who I'm, that's who I'm going to be, or I'm going to smoke weed forever. That's, that's just who I am. It's easy to accept those things rather than be like, well, there's a chance that I'm more than that. There's a chance that what I've been through means something. And although sometimes, you know, we don't have a choice in the abuse we receive, we do have a choice in what to do with it. And I think (laughs) that's kind of what I'm getting. Yeah, my there's a, a lyric in an Aesop rock song that says, recognize that what you're holding ain't really broken. Mm. And um, I, again, I so relate, you know, it's just that idea that I'll always be less than because of the bumps, the bruises and the dents, not that I would be beautiful, you know, like one of those uh, Japanese pots that are broken and fused together with mm. gold, you know, and like, um, the, I love that you've developed a process for not only just like decision-making, but getting to know yourself and understanding and accepting that you're not, you're not the byproduct of all that bullshit. Right. You know, but in victimhood, it's very interesting when you were saying that my whole thing around that is I always, 
I carried a victim mentality around the wrong things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you asked me until I was 30 years old what my childhood was like, I would say, oh, it was rough, but it wasn't that bad. I wouldn't be like, no, I was neglected, abused, and, you know, and, and it was super violent and scary. And I didn't, I didn't say that. But I would, if I pissed off my boss and they reacted appropriately to my bad behavior, I'd be like a victim. I'd be like, mm. oh, I can't believe you would treat me that way. You know, it was like, I, I didn't know where to put, I didn't know where to put, a, I didn't know how to be, I didn't know how to experience my victimization appropriately rather mm. than taking it to therapy or taking it to my sponsor and taking it to meetings and being like, these things happen and they're real. You know, mm. I was always thrashing around looking for someone else to blame. I very much, I, I always, as a kid, even uh, the big traumatic things that happen, I had no response to zero. It was fine. I would just go to school the next day. But if there was something small, like a test, I would stay home all day and have panic attacks and hyperventilate and all of those kind of things. Like it came out in the wrong ways. And I, it's not to say like my, that pain was valid and real because it was, I think the thing I was kind of figuring out was that I am not my trauma or the bad things that happens to me. I also realized what I liked and who I was. Like I basically developed a sense of self. Like I didn't really know who the hell I was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, you know, that requires a tremendous amount of self-honesty. Like what is your level of honesty with yourself and others today? Uh, it's funny. I went to a psychic once and she like looked at my palm. Of course. Of course I did. I read tarot cards. I do all It's Los Angeles. I'm not saying (laughs) it's, it's, I'm not saying psychics don't exist in like Chicago or the Midwest, but like that is out here. That is a more viable option than most things. I, I I definitely, there's definitely like an internet famous psychic I want to have on this podcast because she talks about like 12 step stuff on her podcast. It's more fun to believe, but it's just like it. (laughs) If it's a choice between medical professional help and psychic, majority of the people are like, psychic. <laughs> that's, that's true. We do know a lot of people that are buying crystals and not filling out their Medi-Cal acceptance forms. You know what I mean? Like there's definitely, we know a lot of people that need Zoloft, not, you know, not Yeah. (laughs) Like I have to be on antidepressants. I can't just know my whole fortune. And yeah, I (laughs) like, if you need them, go get them. So you went to to the psychic. I do, but I do love that you went to a psychic. I kind of want to go with you next time. Yeah. It was like on like random on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, and I just like was going out with my friend and she read my palm. And one of the things she like this, I only bring it up because she looks at my hand and she's like, you are very honest. That was like one, the first thing she said is like, you're very, a very honest person. And I, and you continue, you will be a very honest person. Um, And it was just weird to hear that externally because I don't really think of it. I just, I always am like, am I oversharing? Am I telling you too much? Do you like me? Uh, But I do, I, I try to be extremely honest because like what good is all of the, um, my brain can be toxic. Mm. And, you know, there's that Brene Brown thing about vulnerability, which I had to, I had to re-listen to that because I just go into these shame spirals when I keep all of that stuff inside of me. And 
I'm not going to get any sort of solution if it stays in my head because I'm not equipped enough to figure for to in my head, figure out my way out of it. That's been proven over and over again. That's not possible. (laughs) And for those listening to the podcast, as one is to do with an audio program, while Charlie was sharing, Anna was waving her arms around like the wacky inflatable tube man (laughs) outside of a car dealership because she recognizes the story. I just want to create that image for everybody that she was... (laughs) She was Muppeting real hard. Uh, I Muppet hard. That's how I express my joy. I love Brene Brown. In fact, her, um, I, you know, it's funny. I can read sci-fi books all day, like, and just sit down and just like read trashy sci-fi books all day, but I don't do self-help very well. Uh, mm. cause it's just not, you know, ADHD. It's just not interesting. There's no spaceships. Come on, put a spaceship in there. And, um, and I have all of Brene Brown's books on audiobook. And the last one, Rising Strong, the first three chapters cannot get through them without crying. Mm-hmm. Cannot. Like, it's just so, I love her. I love her with my whole heart. I just, anyway, I'm just so excited. And just uh, the shame spiraling, the whole thing. I, I, I get it. Oh, I got a psychic story for y'all. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Here comes some honesty. Here we go. Here's some honesty. This is very funny. I was in um, uh, Sherman Oaks and my car, I was driving my car and I had a friend of mine uh, with me, Nicole Yates, friend of the show. And we're driving along and they're no relationship. Yeah. Uh, And they're like, they're, uh, we're driving along and something's wrong with my battery. Something is wrong. My car's acting crazy. So we pull into this garage. I'm like, Hey, can you run a diagnostic really quick? My car is, you know, my 20 year old first generation Prius is acting wild right now. And they're like, yeah, it's going to take a couple hours. I look across the street and I see a psychic and I was like, well, you want to go get our cards done? Fuck it. They have a, they have a $10 sign. Let's just go do that. And we go to walk across the street. And right before we're, we're about to go in, I notice out of the corner of my eye, an LAPD SWAT team. And I'm like, what? And I turn and they are guns drawn, helmets on, Kevlar on at the back door, the side door of this psychic reading center. (laughs) And I was like, uh, let's not do this. So then we, I, she was, I was like, but I don't want to let this go. So we went across the street where there was a retaining wall and we just stood behind the retaining wall, hoping it would stop bullets watching what was ever happening back there. And they fully cleaned the place out. It was clearly like probably a drug thing, like, but it was a great way to spend that time. Um, so I guess that's the moment I became the psychic. I psychic right. the psychic. <laughs> Yeah, you see a you see a police raid and you're like, that's a sign from the universe. <laughs> it was definitely a fun afternoon. I was just sitting there eating chocolate, just like, damn. <laughs> I haven't watched <laughs> I haven't watched a good roundup of folks in a long time. This is this is great. This is live TV. I enjoyed it. But um I digress. That has nothing to do with the podcast or you. Um uh, yeah, Charlie, have you ever witnessed a police raid? I haven't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I that's uh you gotta, you got to try it sometime it's uh it's uh it's fascinating it's a lot more boring than you think it is there's a lot of cops just standing around honestly and, and yelling things there's yeah yeah and not, not a lot of not a lot of pew 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 more like get out of the ground God, come out. Yeah. yeah 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 so well you know 
how, how do you experience with everything in your life? Like, how do you experience anxiety mm. or fear, fear and anxiety? I fear and those, anxiety. Those two things together. Um, it's really like fear is a default to me. I'm just terrified of everything, even though I pretend like I'm not. I like to put on this kind of like face that I, I've got my shit together. I'm I'm fine. Uh, the I'm fine narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the core, I mean, when I take down those layers, I'm scared of a lot of things. Um, just uh, fear of death, fear of abandonment, fear of... Uh, something going wrong, fear of this pandemic. There's so many things. Mm -hmm. Um, But it kind of is like, if I don't address how I'm doing, like if I am not self-aware enough to identify that I am in fear or I have anxiety, it usually just prolongs the experience, right? So it's like recognizing, oh, here's something that I'm feeling. I'm not good with naming my emotions. Um, But I usually, I'm very physical where like, because I have PTSD, I'll like get tremors or like, I'll get a pit in my stomach. And that's usually an indication. Something like that is manifesting. Mm -hmm. It's very physical for me. Mm -hmm. So what helps me is like deep breathing. It's very basic, but I just have to get into my body enough to experience what I'm feeling and then say, what do I need now? Is this a real fear or is this just manifesting because of my head? That is so valuable that is it seems uh i'm a i throw up my neck hurts my back hurts like i feel i feel the effects of fear and anxiety before i before i acknowledge that it's existing because in my brain like that's how i stay safe i'm just like i'm gonna i I just got to keep going but my body has to do something with it and i think my first therapy experience the therapist asked me in our very first session, within five minutes of meeting, we said, could you do me a favor and put your back on the back of the chair where backs go? And I was like, what do you, I was in there, like I was coaching a little league softball team. Like I was just like, you know, <laughs> just. Yeah, I, I have the same thing, like where I was literally just talking to my therapist, Kevin, yesterday about bracing for the impact. Like I spend a lot of time bracing for emotional mm-hmm. impacts just being tight you know like sometimes i'll i will like i'll be meditating and then i'll be like why is your jaw clenched <laughs> like why you know why why are your hands in 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 fists like you're supposed to be just chilling i wake up with my hands like this like I, in my sleep, I ball my hands. Like so, I'm going to fight. For, so for the listeners at home, Anna is balling her hands up in front of the camera, like, like little punching bag, bag fists. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. seriously. I wake up and I've had my hands balled in fists all night. And I'm like, why do my hands hurt? And I, I remember bringing that into, um, into therapy. And my therapist was like, well, you're probably clenching them in the middle of the night. But my question is, is what can't you let go of? And I was like, you know, and it is wild. Like yoga has been a big one for me. Martial arts has been a big one for me. Combat breathing. If you're like, if somebody says deep breathing, but they don't like it, they're like, oh, that's too woo. Combat breathing. Hold, you know, breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four. 
Uh, I call it the box breathing. It's box breathing. Box, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I was I was staying at my my sponsor's been going through chemo, and um, she has her last treatment coming up. And uh, I was taking a walk because her roommate's a real spaz. I love her to death, but she's she's got a lot of energy, and I needed a walk. So I was walking her dog around the block, and I beginning of the pandemic, and there's a woman in her car sobbing. I mean, sobbing. And I just stopped and I said, Hey honey, you all right? And she was like, I don't know. I just can't, the room is spinning and I can't, you know, I'm a nurse and I, I just can't. And she could barely talk. And I was like, Hey, let's do, let's do some combat breathing. You ready? You ready? And I'm standing out there. I've never met this person before. I'm just holding a dog going, okay, breathe in for four, hold, breathe out for four. And we just did that for a few minutes. And and she was like, thank you. And I was like, all right, have a great day. And I just like wandered off because, because I know that I know that like, what the fuck is happening in my body feeling? It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy. So, uh, yeah, I wake up, uh, <laughs> hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that it's like when everything is like, you are so afraid of everything that your movements are even like super quick. And I remember mm-hmm. I, uh, I was with uh, my ex at the time and he studied like PTSD and my alarm went off in the morning and I just quickly like pivoted it and grabbed it so quick that he was like, oh, that's like the textbook hypervigilance. Like he studied it and was like, oh, I just witnessed that was insane. But that's how I wake up in the morning. It's like panic, run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I has that changed for you at all? Because that's definitely changed for me. Yeah, it's gotten better. Yeah. It's not perfect. You know, there's setbacks and stuff like that. But it's it's usually it's just the breathing. The breathing brings mm-hmm. me back to my body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the trade-off to that is like people don't realize folks with hypervigilance are exhausted. Because oh. from the second you wake up to the second you force yourself to sleep, you are, I mean, 110% watching everyone's facial movements, their body posture, like Mm -hmm. their, um, you know, it's not just like, Oh, you know, it's, it's my, my friend who's a therapist describes it as there's target, there's tigers in the room. Mm -hmm. And so you're always looking for tigers in the room, but you're looking in places like the dentist office or you're looking at dinner with your partner, you know, you're looking for, you're just looking for those tigers all the time. And it's exhausting. There's, yeah, it's the, the facial features too. Like I will, I will like fixate on people's eyes. And if they shift, my brain goes, Oh, they're going to punch you in the face. Mm -hmm. makes no sense. It makes Mm -hmm. no sense, but Mm -hmm. it's just a reaction. And you're right. I, if I breathe and get in my body, I'm exhausted. (laughs) So tired. Well, one of, one of the ways my defects kind of come up around that is I will, I will observe somebody uh, through that hypervigilance uh, developing an aggressive or defensive posture. And I'll just say it. Mm. I'll say, why are you defensive right now? And no one likes that. <laughs> no one, no one likes that. You want to, you want to kill all the boners in a love relationship. Look at your partner and say, why are you being defensive? No, I know you're being defensive. Look at the, look at the way you're holding your face. That's it's the way you're holding your face. Why are you acting like that? That is a crazy thing to do maybe mildly abusive. I have no idea, but it is hard to live with. 
and uh how to kung fu your relationship into the ground by exactly i'm like i'm like okay wait hold on what you doing why you sad you know it's like it's uh it's a superpower but sometimes you know with great power comes great responsibility and that brings us to our next i know i'm a dork i know whatever (laughs) listen Listen, I've been watching a lot of Star Trek Discovery, man. I'm getting cheesy as a motherfucker in this. Um, <laughs> but what is um, what is one thing about yourself that you are still working on? Like a character defect you're still mm. working on. Like that's my character defect I'm still working on to allow people this space to yep, feel the their emotions. She, the only one. She's that's it. That's it. I'm perfect in every other area. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a big one for me is to... Um, allow people the emotional space to be themselves and not try to manage them for my own safety, Mm. you know? So uh, where are you, where are you at with things? Um, My defects boil down to not getting what I want or losing what I have. It's Mm -hmm. as simple as that. And um, when I think of like how, like not getting what I want, is that happening in my relationships? Do I not feel like, I'm getting enough validation or whatever that looks like. Um, and then losing what I have is it, it's, it's a lot about relationships. I have a lot of anxieties about relationships, which if I like, look at my history, look at my family, look at all those kind of things. I'm like, yeah, duh. And um, I didn't grow up with uh, in a home that like really had boundaries. So another character defect is like poor boundaries. Like, am I oversharing something right now? Does someone not like the way I'm talking? I always, so the kind of combat to that is I, if I am going to be talking about something deep and dark, I kind of ask the people around me, are you capable of hearing this right now? Um, It's been a wonder to my relationships, setting boundaries in relationships with people who also have poor boundaries and being like, look, I can't, I can't do this right now. If I'm feeling depressed or if I'm not feeling up for it, I can't show up in this way and saying no. Um, it's really easy for me to get passive and just um, overextend myself, people please, those kind of things. So setting boundaries for me is a loving action because then it's like I can love you more because I can do it in the in the kind of realm of what I'm working with with myself. If I set a boundary with you, that means I love you a lot and I trust you enough that if I set this boundary, um, I want our relationship to be healthier. And I want to have healthy relationships with the people I love. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and a lot of it too is like, I think I've had the experience where I become the emotional garbage can for some people because I do have years in recovery and it's like, I have to stop people. And then they get mad sometimes when you stop them mm-hmm. and then they lash out and they say things. And, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's, it, it's healthy just to be like, yo, I'm not going to be talked to like that. Yeah. And I just the bottom line, like I'm not I'm not here to swallow all the shit sandwiches that you're serving up. Yeah, no, I I'm the same. I experience I think, Dave, you know, you're walking through something that we've talked about a lot because that was people stopped doing that to me in my life before starting stand up comedy. And then I started stand up comedy and the people pleasing crept back in the savior stuff, the codependency like that all crept back in. And um, in a way that because I was afraid I wanted to ingratiate myself with people because I was afraid and I was vulnerable. And, um, that 
all blew up in my face because of that. It was, I used to, people used, they used to like lovingly call me the emotional cum dumpster. Like people would just come up to me and be like, Hey, Anna, how's it going? I'm like, yeah. And it was too much. And, um, and I, um, I have to ask myself with all of my character defects, this question of, and this does relate to your point about boundaries is what do I get out of this? Because for every character defect I engage in, I do get something out of it, whether it's pleasurable, whether it's functional, whether it is, um, you know, uh, empowering. Um, there are things that I get out of that. I would not do, I'm a pleasure seeking missile. If, if there wasn't a reason to do that thing, I would not, is it validation? What am I looking for there? What do I get out of it? And is that a long-term benefit or is that uh, a short-term benefit with long-term harm? You know, mm-hmm. is that the, is that the uh, GameStop, GameStop stock market ploy to make a little fast cash in my life or is it a long-term ETF? Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I, literally, I, I literally not not 90 percent of the people are going to be like, what the fuck did she just everyone is a, everyone is aware of what Reddit did to GameStop like that is powerful and amazing. It's the guillotine of the future. Anyway, um, I uh, I am Ooh. whatever. I'm fun. Um, I love that. You're fantastic. I'm sorry. You're inspiring me to talk too much about myself because I feel like we have so much in common. It's crazy. I mean, um, everybody, everybody loves 12 questions. This week's guest, Anna Valens. Shut up! Um, <laughs> my co-host, Charlie Cantor, over here. So, uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, ask a question then. <laughs> thank you for the space to do so. <laughs> So the next question on the list of uh, the 12 is how do you experience forgiveness, Charlie? Forgiveness is hard. Um, for I've been having a lot of conversations about this. Um, I think it's um, it comes as a process for me. There are days where I feel more forgiving. And there are some days where I think I'll never forgive a person. Um, I think the difference is that if the forgiveness is not surrounding something traumatic for me, I find it pretty quickly because I don't like to be in a resentment and I don't like to be mad at people. Mm -hmm. Um, I am very uncomfortable with anger. Personally, it's never come easy to me. Can I ask you a question of that? Mm -hmm. Is it because you're afraid of yourself? Um, I think yes. Yes. Because I look at my abusive parent and I think, what if that was me? Yeah. I think, what if I hurt someone how I was hurt and it scares me? Um, And I think there's also my anger always turned inwards. So like ways I would harm myself. Um, I hate myself. Like my anger got to the point where I was like, I should just kill myself because I shouldn't express it to anyone else. It is mine. And it's been a complicated relationship with anger. Mm -hmm. But forgiveness, on the other hand, is... I, I want, I genuinely, I generally want to forgive, but I don't think any victims or survivors, I'll speak for myself. Like, I don't think anyone has to forgive something like that. Cause I've had a lot of conversations about this where I've had friends tell me this person forgave their abuser. And what does that mean for me? And it's constantly like, that's their own experience. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. That's their own experience. Like I have forgiven some of my abusers, forgiven lightly, you know, in the terms of like, I don't think about it, but there are certain abusers. There's one that's dead who I will never forgive. The audacity of being abusive and then dying. The audacity—that oh. is my my sponsor once said that to me. I was doing I was doing an eight step actually, where we were talking about forgiveness and stuff, and she was like, "You know what? The audacity your parents had to fucking die. You know, so you have to process this in a vacuum of memories. Mm-hmm. That's so fucking rude." Yeah. <laughs> I, it's weird. It's weird being resentful at someone who's no longer here. It's like, that's where I have like, what do I believe in? Do I have a higher power that I can like turn on really loud music and scream in my car at this person who doesn't exist anymore? And maybe they can hear it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. That's like the belief systems of like, I don't know. I don't know. Can I just like get this anger out? And anger again is hard. So tools that I have to like get it out or like screaming into a pillow, you know, I love doing that. Um, but the, ocean, the ocean's the best. Have you ever jumped in the ocean and just screamed underwater? I think that's one of my favorites. Mm, that's a good I one. did before sobriety, but I did do that once. Um, but yeah, sober. It's the shit. <laughs> I'm going to have to do that. I really, um, because yeah. And it's weird. Like I'm coming to more. I, I yeah, I think forgiveness just comes back to, I'm really tired mm-hmm. holding on to this. I think too also people like to intellectualize an emotional thing and they like to make these blanketed statements where I believe that each relationship, whether it be with an abuser or someone who's passed away, it, it's it's its own individual thing. You know, like I'm going through a grief recovery book right now, you know, because of losing my father. And it's like, if my dad dies and your dad dies, there's an intellectual parallel. Like we both lost a dad, okay? But it's almost the same as just me saying we have the same shoe size. Like that that's the only comparison to make. There's no, each relationship is completely unique and individual and the work it's gonna take to complete the grief is gonna be different, you know? And that's why it's hard sometimes for people suffering grief or PTSD from abuse because well-meaning people have been misinformed on what it takes for the individual person to get through or past or into acceptance or forgiveness or any of these Mm -hmm. big words that we like to use where it's just, it's not, it's not as simple as that, you know? One of my favorite things Brene Brown says in one of her books, I think it is rising strong. Um, is that she talks about the difference between grief and complex grief and complex grief is where trauma and PTSD are mixed in. And, um, and the, the, and she says, you need a professional to walk you through it mm. because, and I, what a wise thing. It's like, you know, you could easily just say, do this and, and, I'll, and buy more books of mine, you know what I mean? But to say like, no, this, this really does require a professional to help uh, to help weed through that. And, um, you know, some days on a good day, I view my parents as I call them my magical monsters because some days they were magic and they were so kind and interesting and loving. And some days they were terrorists and, and I, 
I've worked a lot on forgiveness in that area, but that doesn't mean anybody has to come to a hundred percent forgiveness. Mm. You know, it's like, I recognize that they were broken people Mm. that like should not have had kids that met in a 12 step meeting. Come on. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Odds are good, but the goods are odd. That's dating in a 12 step room. Mm -hmm. I think what I just, I think it is for me is that I don't know if it's forgiveness, but it's acceptance. Yes. And like, I can accept that this person has a sickness and I, I always go cause it's my mom and I'm like, I never want to be in her head. I never want to live in her reality mm-hmm. because it sounds so painful mm-hmm. and I can have empathy, but I don't always have to have forgiveness. Yes. And yeah. maybe, you know, it's like with the people that, cause there's, yeah, I don't talk to her, but like, maybe there will be a day where I have enough love and compassion and boundaries that I will be able to. Does that make sense? It does. It, it, well, and, and for me, it was incremental. Before my mom passed away of like complications of her disease, she was living at my living at my grandmother's house and just like drinking and eating Vicodin, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, what I would do is I told myself a long time ago, I don't sleep under the same roof with my mother or my grandmother. I just don't. It's mm-hmm. not safe. Don't care for it. Every time it's happened, uh, it's resulted in trauma. So we're not going to do that anymore. And I would set a timer in my phone for two and a half hours. And I would sit there and we would talk about her favorite shows on History Channel. And she'd smoke a cigarette. And then I'd go. And that's all I could do. And when when she died, there was a real ugly fight between myself and my uh, piece of shit uncle. And, um, and he, uh, he said, you know, I was told that you could only go over there for a couple of hours at a time. You didn't have a relationship with them. And I said, no, I had the relationship I could have with them. Mm. And that's all I could do. And, um, and there was some guilt for a while around, like, why didn't I try to mend that more? But, you know, again, my 50%, I was doing my living amends in that moment in those two hours. And that's all I could do. And, and uh, that's, that's super important. That's super important. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It is, it is a tough one. And, um, and it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be constant. You know, I, I love what you said about acceptance. My experience of forgiveness around trauma is it's not just accepting the other person for who they are, good, bad, or indifferent. It was also the acceptance of who I was in that moment, good, bad, or indifferent. Because I'm the addict who believes deep down inside that it's my fault, that I could have chosen differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes shit just happens. And I have to forgive myself for not being an invincible Mm eight-year-old, you know, like, or an invincible 15-year-old or an invincible, you know, I am not inherently bad and I'm not inherently at fault, no matter what the people screaming in my head tell me. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, once I found that forgiveness for myself, then I finally understood. And it took 10, 12 years, honestly. It, I finally understood what spiritual freedom was. You know, so I love that I love that you're in that journey and like 
and that journey is all the time. Like it, the pro the process of applying the steps to trauma is peeling back so many onion layers. It's almost absurd. Yeah. Like, and my sponsor today was telling me she's dealing with some trauma from her own abuse childhood. And she was like, I thought I was done with this. And it pisses me off that I still have to go there. I still have to dig. And I have 33 years. Mm. <laughs> I, uh, I had a moment like that last night. Like mm -hmm. I have PTSD, so I get flashbacks. I got a flashback last night and I was so angry. Mm -hmm. I was just like, it's the same memory. I know what happened. I know it was, you know, this really fucked up thing happened. I get it. And and I noticed that I talked to myself like that. Like, so what? Get the fuck over it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I would never talk to, I was five when that happened. I would never talk to a five-year-old like that. Nope. Wow. Well, how would I, how would I treat her? Um, that sounds really scary, but you're safe now. Guess what? We're actually 22 years old and you're in your apartment and it's not happening again. Yes. I have to talk that simple to myself when I get in the States. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, that's the beautiful, the reparenting stuff, which I fucking hate talking when my therapist is like, I need you to engage in some reparenting. I'm like, fuck you. Like I'm so, <laughs> right. mad, so mad when she says that, but, um, because I view that inner me, that like little girl me is weak and mm -hmm. I don't like that. Right. Um, which isn't true. She's the most resilient bitch I've ever met, you know? And like the, uh, the, the getting to that place of not only, does that sound really scary and you're safe now, but, um, Oh God, what was I going to say? Um, but also that like, I can't remember. It's not there. It's gone. It's gone. Hey guys, my brain is trash. Um, but, uh, well, at the end of the day, it's, it's like this uh, digging up a lot of these feelings is, is hard. Uh, and to frame it in a 12 step perspective is even harder, you know, and there's yes. a limitation to what the 12 steps can do. <gasps> oh, uh, I remember. I remember. One second. Here we go. On a good day, I don't respond with anger about the new information. On a good day, I go, oh, wow. Okay. All right. What are you trying to tell me? What do we got to work on today? What new thing am I going to learn about myself today? <laughs> That's how I, on a, on a good day, I respond to it with, with curiosity rather than like, or, okay, thank you for the information. I get it. You're still in there. You're still in there. We still got work to do, bitch. And then I keep moving. Anyway, Dave, continue. I'm so sorry. So <laughs> what I was saying, I'm not trying to negate what you said, but now I'm trying to re, re, reframe what, what I was about to say. is 12-step recovery is not a cure-all. No. So reframing trauma and apologies and things like that, it's good for alcoholism and, and drug addiction. But sometimes it's just it, it's beyond the scope. You know, um, and sometimes we need more help to get to a place where we can make amends or receive apologies from people who who have hurt us. Mm -hmm. um, Charlie, what would you say has been the most surprising amends that you've made or received so far? Um, it's weird because it, it's hard to pin it to just one. Uh, the amends that I, there are amends that I reached out and never heard back. And those were some of the most humbling lucky, things. That, lucky. I know. And here's the thing. Here's the it, thing. It's maddening, but it's still like, oh, it's not. It, here's what it showed me. It showed me 
these people don't want anything to fucking do with me. And it is my job as a, as a sober person to respect their boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that, as someone who doesn't know boundaries, was huge. And to know they might never forgive me or we might never come to a resolution, that is, for me, accountability. This is why I don't treat people the way I did when I was drinking. They, those are the most powerful to me. Um the most shocking was it was most people for a, a lot of people from the Sarah Lawrence when I went to school the first time. Um, but I actually ran into uh, an old roommate and I was out like uh, going to a club or something like bar. Like it's weird. I still go out uh, pre pandemic, um, even though I don't drink or anything, but I ran into her in the line of this club and um And I, my interpretation of all the amends I owed was like, they hate me and they have every right to hate me because I'm an evil, bad person. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening was the most loving and beautiful um, amends process where like, and and this kept happening where I'd make amends and I had more friends in my life. Most people were like, where did you go? I just was so ashamed that I thought you never wanted to talk to me again. What's the point in saying anything? But it's important to say something. It's important to own up to that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You're such a vulnerable juggernaut. Do you know that? You're like, you're amazing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Ah! With all this work that you've done in your life, what is your day-to-day keeps Charlie together routine? Like what's your day-to-day habit? Practice. Ah, yes. Um, Day-to-day. It's, uh, it's not great right now. (laughs) As someone who gets depressed a lot, uh, sometimes I can't do a routine and I stay Mm -hmm. in bed all day and I'm a very sad person, but on a good day, I'll get up, um, I'll try to meditate because it clears my head. Um, I'll try to, you know, do my practice of like re- do out, doing outreach and like talking to people and like getting what I need for my recovery um, while also putting in self-care. Like I have to be nice to myself and because my default is to hate myself. So try to do that opposite action. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do do like tarot and astrology and all that stuff. And for me, that was uh, an opening of a spiritual practice because I didn't know what God was for a while. I got really stuck on it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I believed in. And I just saw that practice as something of like, oh, I get to connect with whatever's up there and really listen and like form a relationship um, in a new way, in a deeper way where I'm not afraid to like, I grew up Jewish. I'm not afraid to like look back at my Jewish roots and be like, this is parts of that religion that I really like and like Mm -hmm. being open-minded. Like the key to any routine is to be like action. Can I get up and being open-minded? Am I willing to hear what I need to hear? Mm. I will say this, Jewish folks crush the death uh, department. Uh, that is one thing. If you're not familiar with uh, Judaism, uh, their their process for uh, burying the dead and grieving is it's like a three day deal, and you get a lot of food, and it it is fucking way better than uh, in my opinion. 
not to offend any of our the food situation is definitely on point yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) but y'all just do it they they just do it so much better than the majority Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. of the country my first experience with uh uh, judaism and death was uh you know when i was in college uh a friend of ours miriam she was hit by a car and it was so fast like that they you know the 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 cemetery the burial the and then to the healing and people just bring 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 food and it was just amazing Mm -hmm. it's to the point where i i believe this to be true as far as my own grief is that food and money help with grief thoughts and prayers do not it's true it's very true i think uh i have some more catholic um uh, members of my family, at least they were. Now they're all born again Christian, and uh, and uh, uh, the wake process. I remember going to my uncle's wake, my tio's wake, and then afterwards, myself, my sister, her mom, my stepmom. We all said, "Let's go to Krispy Kreme," and we ordered three dozen donuts and sat in the parking lot and ate pretty much every one of them. <laughs> Are we we off base, Charlie, in that, in that? (laughs) No, I think it's fair. I I just did a a Jewish funeral, like what, two, a month ago. (laughs) My grandfather just died. So we just, we did the whole thing. Oh, it's, I I don't know. Whenever people are like, I'm sorry. I'm like, I know me too. He was 93 and he lived a really long life and drank every day of it. Uh, Woo! go go you uh but yeah it was a beautiful um like ceremony because like you know the they sing and lowering into the casket and then you sit shiva sit shiva Mm -hmm. for eight days i did the whole thing you cry you rip your clothes you don't you're not supposed to look in mirrors like um there was this like ceremoniously like you wash your hands of like the death when you come home from the funeral um, and I, we, we all did that. I, uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's a beautiful process. Like that's actually a big part of like what brought me back to my Judaism is like, Oh, I love how they talk about grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of good, like 100%. It is far superior to, uh, uh most, uh, r- religions in America where it's like, a lot of the times in like the Christian Catholic faith, it's just such a drawn out thing and there's no real methodology. It's like, I mean, I kudos to the Jewish folk uh, because you fucking nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Also weddings. Very great too. I have in my, my favorite weddings are gay and, and Jewish. Those are my two favorite weddings. <laughs> or, or, gay, or gay Jewish. I mean, gay Jewish? that's what I hope to have. I hope yeah. to have a Jewish yes. wedding. <laughs> yes. To your gay Jewish Please. wedding. We will. I do- will. You'll be there. We'll eat everything. Um, it's fantastic. I, um, that's cool. Um, and you, so what's oh sorry. Go for it, Dave. What's your relationship with your higher power look like? Um it's like a it's very powerful. You know, it gets so uncomfortable talking about it because I'm uh I, I don't know, it just feels so intimate. Um really my higher power, it feels so intimate. It's like my higher power sees me for everything I am, all good, bad, and ugly. And I have a relationship where I know that the things in my life help me grow to be more resilient or are there so I can be of service in some way. 
Um, and I treat my higher power as like, like a friend almost. Like sometimes I just have nights where I'm like, I'm going to hang out with my higher power and I light all my candles, do my witchcraft practice and like sit and like, we'll do laundry and just like imagine that I'm with my higher power. Like it's like very intimate like that. Like it's like my best friend, Mm -hmm. but I don't really have to know everything about it. Like I don't have to know exactly what it looks like because it is constantly changing. My beliefs are changing. I am growing, but I know whatever it is up there is looking out for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking about this uh, the other day. It's like making more things sacred, you know, (laughs) like uh, from making your coffee to focusing on your breath to doing the laundry just like making routines sacred is important mm-hmm. Thich Nhat Han talks about that the the uh, meditation of washing your dishes yeah that yeah making more I like that Dave making more things sacred Ooh, bumper sticker hello we did it Charlie we made it to the last question <laughs> Beautiful. I know. I know. Who who would have thought we could do it? But I didn't. No. What would you tell someone just like you listening right now? Um, you're not too young to get sober, and uh, you're not too sick to get healed, and you're not broken. You were never broken. Um, it is okay. I would probably just tell her it is okay. And like, do the first, do the, do the five minutes in front of you. Like, that's it. Like, are you safe? Yes. Just do that. Um, And send love, send love to anyone out there who (laughs) relates to anything I just said, you know, that uh, they're not alone. Charlie, you're a delight. Oh my God. Oh my God. That was so beautiful. I can't. I can't even. Ugh. Okay. My my favorite when the people uh, uh, talk about people getting sober young. This this was a turn of phrase that I used to hear. Is that I spilt more than you drank. Oh yeah. We always uh, used the, to the say. Response is uh, well, if you didn't spill so much, maybe you would have got here sooner. Or or maybe if your old ass wasn't shaken, you know, like we used to. We used to. Oh my god. One time. Uh, the young people in my little town, uh, one of the a guy got clean at 16 and he took, I think 10 years or something. And he stood up and he said, I am just so inspired by all of you incredibly old people with your bad knees and your bad backs and your divorces. Like how amazing it is that you can get clean and stay clean. and i i almost turned it i was laughing so hard i almost turned into a tumbleweed and rolled out of the alano club like i was just like ah (laughs) like because we had heard so much of like it's just so precious that all you young people can get it oh my god it's so and he just turned it around in such a way i was like that is the most beautiful passive aggressive ass shit I have ever seen in my life. I stand it. It's so bitter. It's so petty. And he spent his entire share in that character and I died. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you use for your connections were, what you've done in the past, how much or how little you have, you know, mm-hmm. just get there. You can, the do, it. Yeah. You can yep. do it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Tell me, where, where can people find you on social media if they want to check out what you're up to, give you a follow? Yeah, my Instagram is Charlie Cantor, K-A-N-T-E-R. Not like the Jewish uh, person who sings at all the synagogues. Um, and or the deli. Or the, or the deli. deli. Yeah. Deli. yeah. yeah. Cantor's Deli. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm pretty much just on Instagram. Um, so find me there. You're free. <laughs> Congratulations just on Instagram. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been doing it for uh, using it in a while, but. I have it. <laughs> yeah, connect with Charlie on IG. Anna, where people can find you in the podcast. You can find me at Anna Views Fun on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me on AnnaValenzuela.com for show dates. We will be having a, a live show here live on show, 12 Questions the Show. February 12 13th. Questions the Show, February 13th. It is coming up, ladies and gentlemen. And it is uh, it's going to be featuring uh, Jackie Cation. And uh, Gary Peterson, two guests from the show. So we're very excited. And that's being put on through Bonfire Live. Uh, you can uh, reach out to us at 12Q Pod for all of that information. And we're very excited about that. Uh, Dave, where can people find you? You can find me at Yates Comedy, Y-A-T-E-S Comedy on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, all the things. And yeah, I'm super excited about 12 Questions, the show, February 13th. Check it out. Tickets are 10 bucks on Bonfire Live. 5 p.m. So, PST, 8 p.m. EST. Yep, that's right. So in Central, five, I don't know five, on the, five on the West Coast, eight on the East Coast, everybody. So check that out. And then if you want to buy merch from me, hahahotsauce.com. I sell the hot sauce. It is uh, one of my only sources of income. So if you like spicy foods, hahahotsauce.com, and I will happily ship you some hot sauce. <laughs> I'm going to do a little pitch for your hot sauce real quick. You know what I no. realized the other day? Hold on. Hold, everybody knows. <laughs> no, no, here's the thing. It is a, it doesn't have a ton of sodium in it. It has just, it has enough where it's delicious. But if you are a person who can't do a lot of sodium, I recommend Ha Ha Hot Sauce because so it if is. You're, if you got, if you got sodium problems and your doctor's like, hey, cut the High salt. blood pressure, hypertension. Yeah. It's actually, it's a very good hot sauce. Whereas you're not going to get that through a Tapatio, a Frank's Red Hot, that kind of thing. Full, full, full of salt. Full of fucking salt, guys. Full well. Salt. We, we did it. This is the conclusion of the podcast and how we end every podcast. Charlie, if nobody's told you this today, we love you. Oh, I love you both too. <laughs> so much. Anna, if nobody's told you this today. Yeah, we love you, Anna. Hey, you're doing it. I love you yeah. too. And if you're listening to the podcast out there and you're feeling weird, it's okay. We love you. Thanks for Bye. listening, everybody. Bye. Hi. Dave, Dippy, I love you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Clap, clap out. <laughs> and stop recording. <laughs>